Hi guys! Welcome to the third season of the Advanced Practice Perspectives. I'm Trisha Williams. And I'm Toby O'Brien. This is a podcast created by advanced practice providers for advanced practice providers. Our goal is to provide you with education and inspiration. We will be chatting with pediatric experts on timely key topics and giving you an inside look of the various advanced practice role at Children's Mercy. We are so glad that you're joining us today. So sit back, tune in, and let's get started. Today, we are pleased to welcome Dr. Gladisha Tolbert. Dr. Tolbert is a pediatric nurse practitioner at the Children's Mercy Teen Primary Care Clinic in the Children's Mercy Clinic at Operation Breakthrough. Dr. Tolbert is also adjunct faculty for the Pediatric Nurse Practitioner Program at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. She is a certified pediatric primary care mental health specialist and a certified life coach. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Tolbert. Oh, thank you so much for that warm welcome. I appreciate you guys having me here, and I'm looking forward to talking with you all today. Gladisha, should I call you? Well, I'm going to call you Dr. Tolbert. You deserve it. So that little introduction was really impressive. Tell us more about yourself. Okay, so I actually love telling the story of how I progressed to my current role as an APRN and an educator. I um, actually started my nursing career at Children's Mercy as a care assistant back in 1999. I was at the Children's Mercy South Urgent Care. This was back before it was a full-fledged hospital. I was in nursing school at the time at St. Luke's, and I graduated my BSN from there. And I continued working at Children's Mercy as an RN after graduation. And then I went back to school to get my master's a couple of years later. I actually walked the stage with um, when I was pregnant, seven months pregnant with my youngest, who's now 18. I just sent her off to KU for college. And I have a 21-year-old, too. So me and my husband, Terrence, are basically empty nesters now, which is pretty exciting. Different new chapter of our lives. But I just remember being a full-time graduate student and working as a nurse back in PCC and how much I really admired the wealth of knowledge the nurse practitioners had. And I just always dreamed of that day, hoping that day would come, which I would have that degree of knowledge and experience. You know, I didn't expect to enter into teaching at this stage of my life, but after attaining my doctorate five years ago, the opportunity arose, and it's been a true blessing, really, just to get back to my profession and educate in the future generation of providers. I really just love what I do and work in the teens and operation breakthrough, which is such a unique setting, working in an early child care center where I'm seeing patients from the community as well, infants through adolescence, as well as the work I'm doing in teen clinic. Well, we are so glad to have you on. I want to talk a little bit first about your role as the adjunct faculty. I know that I've been lucky enough to have some of your students in the past in the ENT clinic, but with the fall semester approaching, I know so many of us will have the opportunity to work with some of the students that you have. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your most ideal way that we could precept these students to provide the best experience for them. Um, that's a really great question, Toby, and I, I'm happy to answer that. So I've been doing this for 18 years as far as being a provider, and I've been precepting for the majority of my career before I was even a faculty. And so I, like many other people who are precepting, I remember not really um, knowing what level they were in their education, what all they needed to know during that time, and just really having that understanding of being in those other shoes as a preceptor is that from my perspective, the ideal experience is when both the preceptor and the student are giving and also receiving. So if the student is challenging the preceptor to maybe learn more, some updated information maybe they hadn't 
thought about or, you know, students are really inquisitive, hopefully. And so the preceptors challenged, but then the students also challenged to learn more and to go home and pull out a book or go on the Internet and um, research something on up to date that they'd never seen before. That's when it's truly a win-win situation when they're inspiring each other and challenging each other because we really want that inquisition. And each semester and each course has those written objectives. So, of course, that's important to um, if a student can reach those objectives. That's definitely a goal. But it's not a, a race. It is a marathon. And so this is a, a experience that just continues on and on in their program, progressing each semester. And then, of course, when they graduate. I think it's important for patients, so students to see patients, of course. But I know that there's times when the preceptor may feel overwhelmed. They may have many patients that the student cannot see all of them. That's totally okay. And that's understanding. But we want them to see some patients. We want them to observe the preceptor. We want discussions to happen to the point that each learning experience connects that peg of that ladder to the next one. And they're um, constantly adding on to their knowledge each week that they're with that preceptor and each week that they're in class. So I just really want students to use their common sense use their nursing skills and those things that they already have within them that they probably are burying now because they're so afraid in clinicals. And that confidence level sometimes can be an issue because this is a new environment for them. This is a new level of something that they've never done seeing patients, especially when you get them in their first semester of clinicals. So just trusting in themselves, it's okay for them to be wrong and letting them know that it's okay to be wrong. Go ahead and Offer those differential diagnoses. Encourage your students to think, use your for their critical thinking skills, and really be motivated to learn. Another thing that I want to point out is just to make sure you give them feedback throughout the semester. And I ask that you not wait to until the very end of the semester when there's just not enough time to improve and there may be some adopted bad habits. So we really just want you to offer that ongoing feedback and talk to your student throughout the semester. That is really ideal. And yeah, that's really, that's the main things I can really think of. I mean, I mentioned not feeling obligated for the student to see each patient. As preceptors, we need to allow ourselves time to catch up as well. And also the student may need to take that mental break and catch up as well on the thoughts and what they're learning and documentation and so on and so forth. So that's totally understandable and expected for them to be at a slower pace and not to have that, them feel pressured or do you feel pressured for them to be learning every single thing that you're doing and seeing every single patient that you're seeing in that clinical day. I love what you said about being a mutually beneficial experience. I can relate to that. I love to precept. I love everything about it. I feel like it forces, not forces, that's not really the right thing. It feels like it allows me the opportunity to grow within my own practice and as a human when I teach students. Definitely. So I love it. I think the challenge with where I currently work is that I work in a very subspecialized department. And so it's not like I'm primary care and I, we can have the students for 300 plus hours that they need for their clinical rotation but I get them for a short period of time. So I think about what's the biggest impact I can make when I have them for, you know, the 100 or the 160 hours that I have them. And so I think that, you know, sometimes in a subspecialty clinic, we're busy and we don't think we have a lot to offer, you know, or we don't have the bandwidth or something to that effect. So what would you say to those regards, like in subspecialties, how do we maximize our opportunities with our students to kind of teach them the basics to, to build upon their knowledge set? 
Thank you so much for that. As um, APRNs and providers, I think one thing that sticks out that we all are so aware of is that the most important part of diagnosing and management of patient is the history taking. I mean, you got to get so much information just from that conversation with the family. I mean, we can talk and just ask all the right questions and make, we can pretty much form a diagnosis many times with just that history and interview. And so even in the subspecialty area, I think that's a key highlight to focus on with students is really mastering those interviewing skills. So, and just getting more comfortable with communication with the patients, the bedside manners. And I mean, everyone has something to offer. Everyone has something to offer. So, no matter what specialty you're in, you have a gift, you have resource, you have information, you have knowledge that you can give to that student. So don't ever minimize what you're doing in primary care. Gosh, I mean, we rely on the specialty care so much when we have questions and there's so many different things that come about with patients and illnesses and different areas and you guys have the expertise. And so that information that you're providing to that student, they can take with them if they do work in primary care or any other setting that they work in. They also use that opportunity to really hone in on their health assessment skills and just listening to the heart and getting comfortable with the heart sounds. If they're able to look in the ears, even if they're not, the patient's not here for that reason, the more ears they look at, the easier it's going to be to find that abnormal. The more normal hearts they listen to, the easier it will be to notice an abnormal heart sound. So um, I think every single APR in this hospital has something of value to offer. And no matter if you can just precept 45 hours, if that's all you can do, oh my gosh, that's amazing. If you can commit to 160, that's equally amazing. We need preceptors. We all were students once before, and you know, remember how much and how important our preceptors were to our learning. And so now we have that opportunity to give that back to the future APRAs that may even, we may even work with as colleagues one day in the future. So I think that's really cool. I see it as a professional responsibility. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for that. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like Definitely. to think about the people who precepted me. I mean, those poor souls, but they made it through. <laughs> and I mean, but truly, like, I'm so grateful. And I think back to without people doing that, where would our future be? So it is really so important. And even though we're busy, like, I do think we do learn so much because it does force you to kind of think back through why you're doing stuff. Because so much of what we do sometimes can be muscle memory. But when we have to act mm-hmm. actually, like, explain why we're doing something, I think it's so good to kind of refresh our memories. And be like, oh, yeah, that's because of this or, you know, this update. And so I Definitely. think that's yeah. an important thing to think about. And nothing is more rewarding when your student comes to you in a subspecialty field and they're like, I had a patient in the primary care clinic and I knew exactly what to do because we just talked about it the other day. And my preceptor was like, well, I don't really know. Let's call ENT. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I know what it is. And then you're like, I'm like so proud. <laughs> Yay, that makes me so happy. And that's definitely what we want to see occur. Yeah. I love that. I love it. And yeah. I've been that preceptor where my student was also in that subspecialty and was like, oh, well, when I was in endocrinology, I learned this. I'm like, oh, wow, let's look that up. That's I know, great. I love it. I love it. I think I'd like to also remember when I have students is that, you know, this model in nursing of novice to expert, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to be, you know, we're a novice when we start out and then we're an expert. So when yeah. we're all nurses... And I know we have physician assistants that also listen to this, so I don't want to just specifically talk to nurses. But when we start our career as a nurse, we train ourselves up until where we're the experts in the top of our field and in practicing our nursing skills on our own. And then we go back to school. And then we start 
all over again at a novice. A novice to expert journey is hard, but the expert down to a novice journey is even harder. (laughs) Definitely. You're right on point there. So that confidence is a huge thing for students. And as a preceptor, as an instructor, that's something that we have to help them with to remind them that they don't have to have the right answer every time. And it's okay to have the wrong answer. This is their time of learning. We also want them to be great providers when they're done, and we want them to be safe providers. So if they don't know the answer, it's important to look it up. It's important to say they don't know. It's really important that they're honest and that they are going back and finding the answers to questions they may not have. Definitely very good thing to do. And the confidence will come. We, and we're here to support them. We're here to encourage them and let them know that you don't have to know everything right now. And that's okay. But just keep trying and keep working towards it. Well, I think this is some great information. So hopefully all of you out there would be willing to precept some more students. I know I need to send an email after I get off this podcast and say that I will. I think I already sent that, but I need to do that again. (laughs) So, (laughs) well, I want to talk, I want to switch gears though, Gladisha. I would love to know more about how you say to get your mental health specialist certification and become a certified life coach. That is really great. I'm sure you use those skills often. So Tell us about that. Definitely. Um, yes, in primary care, there these skills I do use on a daily basis. I decided years ago to obtain my pediatric mental health specialist certification through PNCB, really to challenge myself as a mental health provider. I was seeing lots of patients with mental health disorders, specifically lots of ADHD, anxiety, and depression. And I am an avid lifelong learner. And so I'm just like, okay, you know what? I'm doing this. So I want to make sure that I'm doing it correctly, that I have all the tools that I need, that I'm studying. And so I just did that to challenge myself and I obtained it. And now I keep up on the certification, which is really good because I have to obtain CEUs for my research every few years so that I'm making sure that I have current knowledge and information. And I feel more confident when caring for those patients because I know that I have that additional knowledge and certification. So it does help with my confidence and ability to provide their care for sure. So as far as being a certified life coach, this is something I decided to do. Really after learning more about life coaching, I actually took an executive life coaching sessions that Children's Mercy offered years ago where I was the recipient of coaching. And I thought that was really beneficial for me as I become more of a leader in what I do. And so as I continue to work more with adolescents and offer teen education programs, I felt like, you know what, these teens could benefit from this too. They could have, but how can they have the support they need to continue to make health good choices for themselves, maybe have guidance, how to work through problems or issues, how to make sure they're on the right trajectory in life. As a mom of teenagers myself, back then I know how challenging it is for parents to have their hands in really every area, being a parent, having that balance with working, and making sure that their teens have everything they need for organization, for college preparedness, and again, just have making those choices that they need that are the choices that won't negatively interfere with their lives. So I did do um, life coaching training and became certified in life coaching in 2016. And so really, truly, it just helps me be a better educator. It helps me with my group education sessions that I provide through the Breaking Through Teen program. I started this a couple of years after I began Operation Breakthrough. And with that program, what motivated me was 
in the patient examination room, there's just so much time we have during patient visits. We have these four walls, we have 20, 30 minutes, and that's it. And there's so much more that they need. So I started the Breaking Through Teen Education Program and offered group education sessions with the teens at Operation Breakthrough, at De La Salle. I've been at Crossroads, Academy Lafayette. I've been to Girl Scout camps. So this is an area that's needed. Teenagers just need more knowledge, they need more education. And that's really my true north um, is educating people, whether that's teenagers or DNP or MSN students. So I really enjoy that. I enjoy empowering them because really in this population in the urban core where we see, they may not have good examples or good role models or people that have succeeded and met their goals. So just something as simple as setting a goal for their academic success, their safety, those are things they may not have ever thought of. And so that's where I come in to really help them really think about managing their health care, making good choices for their lives so that it can be healthy adults. It sounds like an amazing program that is offered to the teenagers in our area. What are some, you mentioned, you know, goal setting and healthy lifestyle living. Like what would a typical class for that program look like and what would be a, a topic of discussion? I want to hear more about it. I'm very interested. I'd love to talk more about it. So I've had several different educational sessions. I've had like a whole eight-week curriculum on HIV prevention, which included being assertive in situations and how to communicate with a peer. Also, there was STIs covered in that and substance abuse and prevention. So that was a whole eight-week program where I used Focus on Youth curriculum to teach those that the group of youth in an eight-week session at Operation Breakthrough. I've done one-hour segments just on sex ed where we were talking about STIs and contraception. I've spoken about puberty to 11-year-olds and not in 10-year-olds just the basics of puberty and what to expect and all those things that, you know, we may, you may remember us having when we were younger. Some schools don't offer those services. So that's where I come in to offer what they need because they need to have that information. I've been asked to do group education on vaping several times. So been to several schools and talked about vaping and reducing those risks of substance use and just what vaping does to the body and how addictive it is. So just various topics. Sometimes I'll just get a, an email. A school leader saw a need. There's maybe something going around or some rumblings in the school with some risky behavior. And they'll just ask me to come and speak out about a specific topic. So I love it. It's just the best feeling whenever I'm done with an education session. Oh, my gosh. I just can't ex- explain it. I just I, it just feels amazing. So that's just really something that I enjoy doing for sure. So is this a program that you solely developed, like you came up with the idea, you pitched it, you developed it, or is this a program that is going nationwide that we, that you just included into our community? Good question. So this is my program. Before I was back in Mercy for probably the second time, I was at Swope Health as a nurse practitioner, seeing lots of teens at primary care there. And I, myself and a nurse there, started a totally different program, but similar concepts where we educated teens and we'd have a room full of teens every time. It was so much fun that would come to these sessions. And so when I started at Operation Breakthrough, of course, the need was still there. And I did develop a business plan, not just to offer education sessions, but to begin offering contraception at Operation Breakthrough, STI testing, just full reproductive health 
Previously, there was not, those services were not available in that clinic. And I'm still the primary provider that provides those services. I'm able to check wet mounts like under the microscope and do those things that we need to do for vaginal exams and whatnot. So this is just this local program that I started. That's my baby. And I just look forward to continuing it in the future. It's been great. I love that. I love how much you love teens. And because I really think like I have a 13 year old right now. And I just think like so many times they get such a bad rap, you know, but really like they can be so they can be so loving and engaging and they want to know these things, right? These things that you say they like, maybe they have to rely on their friends to get this information. I would way rather her hear it from you. So, (laughs) you know, I think like really having sources of actual truth from people like you is so beneficial to our kids. Oh my gosh. I wish I had this when I was a teenager. I'm right here from Kansas City. I graduated from Ruskin High School. We had a daycare right there on our at our school. So we saw lots of teen pregnancies and things. And I honestly, you know, I'd learned on my own, but gosh, I remember seeing a provider that just stood out to me and I'll just never forget her. And she just was instrumental with not just me learning more about health, but me being a nurse practitioner because she's a nurse practitioner. And, you know, I'm just glad that things are different and we do have people now that give back to the community and there's still so much lacking. We still need more providers and volunteers, people who are interested in working with teens and doing more for them because they really just need the information. They need, to, they need someone to believe in them. Absolutely. The impact that you have on our teens is impressive. I'm honored to know you. I'm wondering if there is any, I'm a research nerd, so I'm always looking at like impactfulness of programs and things to that nature. Have you looked at like any measures, like any objective measures to show impactfulness of your program? I mean, the subjective and the personal growth and the love from this teens and stuff is definitely enough. I'm just, I'm a research nerd. I'm glad you brought that up because I've had to begin to put on my research hat more because truly my reward is what I see is in with those patients, with those students. But you're right. We need to document things more. I don't talk a ton about what I do, which is another just thing about me that I need to do better with. And just so people know that this is going on and I have data that I collect. And so that's something that I monitor and keep track of how many patients we're seeing and how many teen patients have seen an operation breakthrough. You know, I do post-course evaluations and things so I can know what topics they're interested in and how they well they learned. But otherwise, that's probably about it. I mean, I, I had IRB um, in my DNP program, which was focused on comprehensive reproductive services in a primary care clinic. And so that was just a retrospective study that I performed back then. But I would love to look at data more and just put even for my own evidence-based curriculum is a goal that I have. Now, if any one of our listeners like has are thinking like, wow, like I know a school or I know a group of kids that could benefit from this. I mean, is there like a formal way they would go about enrolling or would they maybe reach out to you for more information about maybe some curriculum that you're currently teaching? What would you recommend? Um, They can definitely send me an email at gtobert at cmh.edu. Also, we do have with our community benefit department, our school-based healthcare team, a request that you can submit for education in certain areas of the community. And so those will match up with me if they're adolescent programs, and then I would get a notification that way. Okay. 
And that should be somewhere on the scope. But definitely email me and I can direct you to the right place. Okay, well, we are so thankful that you were able to help us today and visit with us. We, I really enjoyed talking with you. We end each episode with the same question. And so we want to know what is a way that you love to encourage your colleagues? You know, I think the way I love to encourage my colleagues is by being an example of truly finding a balance. I remember being early in my career, being a mom of toddlers, been working full time and like, oh my gosh, I always just thought about, oh my, I just can't find the balance. How do people do this? We work so hard being providers of our patients and taking care of our home lives. We forget sometimes to take care of ourselves. And sometimes our daily load of seeing patients and all that we take on mentally can be exhausting. But it's important to find that motivation to still want to do more, give back, join committees, community service activities, precept. So just remember your, the love that you have for what you do and taking time for yourself. And I just encourage people to find their true north education as mine. I really love to give back in that service to others in education. So just try to find your true north. And I just encourage my colleagues to do that. Not just pick up activities and just doing busy work or becoming the yes person. Truly do things that you enjoy doing. So that you're one step in the direction of working towards your purpose and enjoying the journey while you're on that road. That's fantastic. Find your true north and enjoy the journey. That's fantastic. Well, Gladisha, or shall we say Dr. Tolbert, I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have a topic that you would like to hear about or you're interested in being a guest, you can email us at tdobryan at cmh.edu or twilliams at cmh.edu. Once again, thanks so much for listening to the Advanced Practice Perspectives podcast. Mm-hmm.